Yeah, I'm sat here with uh, David Nixon, uh, who I've known for probably about a year or so, I would say. Yeah. Run better. Uh, used to come to a regular attendee to one of my uh, breathing spaces until uh, personal circumstances shifted things in a certain direction. Uh, and today's show is brought to you by Frankie and Benny's. And, uh, you know, whether it's for breakfast, lunch or dinner, Frankie and Benny's is the place to come where you can guarantee a friendly welcome. Or just a coffee and a chat. So if there's a bit of music in the background, then you'll know why. Uh, but anyway, that being said, I will hand you over to David. And uh, so, yeah, um, if you just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you've come from, a little bit about your story so uh, listeners can uh, get a flavour for who you are. Yeah, so hello, podcast world. Um, my name is David Nixon, that's correct, um, and my business is called David Nixon Writing, and the reason it's called David Nixon Writing is because that's what it all started with. In, in 2017, I was working as a, as a librarian, as a school librarian, and I suffered a brain injury. Uh, whilst playing badminton, which is a statement that many people struggle with. Uh, quite often they imagine an enormous shuttlecock or just a quite violent opponent, but what happened was I fell over, I banged my head against a wall and, and had three bruises to my, uh, to my temporal and frontal lobes. As a result, I could no longer do my job. I developed something called post-concussion syndrome and that exacerbated into post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms uh, this put a huge amount of pressure on my family my friends on me I couldn't go to work and one thing that I did to cope to manage because one, one thing with a, a head injury is that it's almost impossible to um, explain what's going on uh, because the thing that you usually use to rationalize uh, has been damaged um, it's, it's like on the you know, on the, on, the, on, the, on the Enterprise, on the Starship Enterprise, when they got attacked, there'd be a damage report. And I always thought, you know, what happens if the damage report gets broken? What happens if that gets damaged in the attack? How do they know? And it's a bit like that, you know. It's kind of, you're stuck in a paradox. Um, so I started writing. I wrote a series of blogs called Blunt Force Trauma, which became very, very surreal. It was a mixture of uh, sort of diary and creative writing and... Uh, and sort of uh, a, a commentary, almost a commentary on itself. And from that, I then thought, well, hang on, I'm writing here. Why don't, why don't I see if anyone needs any writing doing? So I started writing some bits of copy for people. And from that, David Nixon writing emerged. And then back in, uh, earlier on this year, I met a guy uh, called Ron Maycock, who's uh, uh, a growth specialist from Action Coach. And he, uh, sorry, can we can we name drop on this show? Just, we, we just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it's yeah. by Frankie and Bennett, so you know. <laughs> we're, we're a, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Or not? Uh, or not? Uh, yeah, Banky and Frenies. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, I got chatting with Ron about um, a workshop idea that I had for um, presentation training for work in the room, because as well as being a librarian. And as well as having trained as an occupational therapist, I've also been writing and performing for the last 25 years as a cabaret artist, street artist, poet, general roused about, and uh, you know, general show off. Really. And I do yeah. love the way you wrapped all that up at the beginning as I was a librarian. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't believe that. I would, do, but do you know what? Like, if I would recommend 
if anyone could do any career, even just for a year, be a librarian for a year. It is just the most wonderful profession. Uh, and it's it's quite hard work. More hard work than you think. It's like it's the swan uh, metaphor, you know, especially a school librarian uh, where, you know, and I, I just absolutely loved it because you're managing... You're managing data, you're managing systems, you're involved in sort of creativity, you're interacting with people. It's just, it's got absolutely everything that you want from a job, especially if you, you're a kind of a jack of all trades like me and you've got far too many skills and, you know, not enough time. Um, so, yeah, m moving on from that. Um, so David Nixon writing it and then working the room happened and then over the last year I've been... Uh, networking and meeting people and being online and having lots of things happen in my life uh, that not all of them have been great but all of them have been massively influential and now I'm just launching uh, a product called Speaky Blinders which is our wedding package which is geared towards grooms, the groom's party, father of the bride, best man and brides as well if, um, if bride is making a speech so speech writing, speech coaching, and that's, in a, in a nutshell, in quite a large nutshell, probably a walnut, probably not a, a large walnut, or maybe, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a cup, anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's the journey so far, um, and yeah, like you say, part of that journey has been hooking up with you and the breathing spaces thing in uh, Huddersfield, which I found one of the most useful uh, sort of network. It's, I don't know if you call it, it is networking, but it's it's kind of um, it's almost like peer mentoring in a way. It's kind of it's it's very supportive, and and it feels like you're part of like an underground sort of uh, I don't know kind of French resistance movement. We were, a we were we were in a cellar in Huddersfield. This is a welcome to breathing space. <laughs> Tell no one where we are. First rule of reading. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. But it was very much that, and you know, you use you use Maslow as a tool. Uh, is that right? You use yeah, you use Maslow's hierarchies, hierarchy of needs. So. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the thing I love about Maslow, I mean, we were and just before we did this, we were talking about um, uh, empiricism and evidence and data. Um, I I heard a, a radio program about Maslow and. He, he was appalling. His methodologies were appallingly sloppy. But he was such a humanist that all his research uh, sort of students and assistants just stayed with him because they believed in what he was trying to do. Uh, and I, I think there's a real, you know, there's a message there somewhere about intent and, and about, you know, your motives. For what you're doing and, and I think that's something that comes across with with breathing spaces as well actually there's there's a genuine intent there there's a motive behind it that um, that makes it very real uh, yeah and I mean I know there's a lot of Maslow itself it's a, as a model is easily attacked criticized there's, there's lots of evidence to show it's not quite the way but it but it, I'm one of those people that's I'm not too fixed about the specifics of a model. It's, it's, if there's something that feels right and makes sense, then run with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I when I was I mean training 
I trained as an occupational therapist, uh, and I think within the first week we'd had about 15 models thrown at us, you know. Uh, and it was just, um, yeah, and when you get into practice, there's sort of, the, you know, eyes rolling towards heaven, and oh, bloody models, 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 you know, just treat the person, you know, work with the person. But the models, like you say, they're... They're a useful guide. They they can frame your thinking, and you can kind of recognise situations or behaviours, and, and 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 frame your thinking around that, and it gives you a good place to work from. You know, if you if you're working with yeah, someone in that sense, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's just it's it's about not getting too hung up on them, isn't it? It's yeah. a great matristic. They're analogies at the end of the day, mm. and I know analogy is perfect. It, it, it's used at a certain time in a certain position in For the story, sure. just a lift up and make it easier to understand and you go ah yeah, sure. get it and that's as far as you need to get really with a model yeah. <laughs> and then you can move yeah. on and make use of them and I mean Maslow's sort of it's you know you need to be able to have the things to stay alive to do the things you want to do to achieve the things that you find out about I mean that's kind of yeah I'll go with that <laughs> if I'm dead I, I can't run a business you know, <laughs> you know, at its most basic it's, I think it's pretty spot on I just think where that fits in the strap line but yeah you can't run a business if you're dead <laughs> you can't run a business if you're dead <laughs> I don't know if you want that as a strap line uh, I think we need to, I think we might have to call the marketing department on that one although they'd probably find a use for it wouldn't they you know marketeers they'd, they'd find a way of using that I'm pretty sure something to do with undertakers but there we go um, or a zombie zoology I don't know but anyway um, yeah so um, I, I mean in terms of going back to your transformation should we say and the, the brain injury you had and falling and, I mean physically is, is it still affecting you now is yeah yeah I still I still take uh, I still take um, uh, um Memory drugs. No, I still take. Uh, I still take sertraline, which is an anti-anxiety uh, drug, and I tried coming off. <laughs> I, sort of, I I thought I was able to come off it at one point and stopped taking it and went psychotic, and that was quite scary. Uh, I was sat in, sat in my wife's car, um, sort of screaming, and the windscreen was melting, and uh, you know, proper full-blown psychotic episodes. Uh, if you look, if you look at the uh, look at the pill bottle um, or the blister pack, uh, it's sort of like one in seven people will experience those kinds of symptoms. So, with sudden withdrawal. So I was just really, really unlucky with that. But um, I now know that if I do well at the point when I want to come off it, uh, just <laughs> maybe slow down a little bit. Seek medical uh, advice on that one. So yeah, I still take that. I still suffer neurological fatigue sometimes. Now, I was talking to someone about this, and he said, and they said, "Well, I get tired." That's kind of like, yeah, but this is this is different. It's it's like you, you, tiredness is a sort. It's very much a, a body feel tired. Neurological fatigue. It's like someone's just sort of pumping warm syrup into your skull and just everything just slows down and you just have to lie down and stop sometimes just for like 10 minutes sometimes for 20 minutes um, I use lots of breathing exercises and sort of meditative kind of techniques to, to manage that but so the fatigue is still an issue um, 
I, I still have no sense of smell. Uh, orange, cinnamon, and petrol. Those are the three things that I can smell. Yeah, yeah. So if you ever want to come for dinner at my house, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like unleaded Christmas. Yeah. Um, but and headaches now and again, slight ringing in my ears. So I still experience symptoms. The hardest thing to deal with is our anxiety levels. Um, are they perpetual or is it no no they're under control now I mean it did it got ridiculous it got um, my temper my rage was spinning way out of control Uh, I I saw a a therapist over a period of time about that I still go back to him now and again just to kind of just to tweak things a bit you know Um, and you know, because we kind of like, you know, our, our, our psychological, emotional makeup is like a massive sort of mixing desk, if you like, you know, and you, you, you need the levels need constant adjustment. And uh, it's so, and what a brain injury does, it basically rips all the leads out on one end. <laughs> so you're, you're there quite happily, gently tweaking things and adjusting things along you go, and then, you know, one end of your mixing desk explodes and you kind of. It takes a lot of coming back from. So, and and what, and I should stress as well, what I suffered was termed as a mild traumatic brain injury. Um, people suffer far worse symptoms than me uh, and recover. One of the problems with mild brain injuries is that because it sits in that area of kind of not severe enough for surgical treatment or not severe enough for ongoing rehabilitation but severe enough to warrant medication you kind of you get given some pills and that's it really yeah yeah um one of the reasons i do feel quite strongly about it now is one even people who know me very well i've become incredibly frustrated with because they'll be saying things like oh yeah but you look fine Which makes me really cross. And they say, oh, anger issues. <laughs> yeah, anger issues, actually. <laughs> yeah, but that's not to do with the head injury. Oh, denial. And, you know, and all of a sudden you're trapped in this world of other people's diagnosis of what's going on for you. Which is, it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening, you know. And I, anyone who's listening to this, who has experience of this, they're sat there right now going, yeah, yeah, definitely, you tell them, Dave, you tell them. Absolutely they are. It, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, and and that's, one, that's one of the reasons why I responded to the, um, the, the post on LinkedIn that, that you put up about, uh, you know, can we... Can we sort of can we cheat this process in a way? Well, I, I just to, I mean, it wasn't about cheating the process per se. Are you impressed with how I've steered everything round? Yeah, I didn't do anything. I just oh, yes. plot. Do you do any writing at all? I do do that. Yes, <laughs> DavidNixonWriting.com. <laughs> Um, yeah, so just a reminder for those. I mean, but it's a big thing for me because, and again, um, it comes out of the first book that I wrote, working with people in the solvency space. And it was really interesting when I asked them the question at the end of, it's, having gone through the worst you can in a business sense, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's quite transformational in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. And most of the people came out, came out with a, a sense of hope and a, and a, a new sense of 
for sure. Um, perspective and what was important in their lives and all this sort of thing. And you ask them the question, like, would you go through it again? And a number of times people say, well, yeah, I would actually, because I needed that yeah, to yeah. get where I am now. If I hadn't gone through yeah. the worst that I could possibly think of, I wouldn't be the person I'm today, and I like who I am now. Yeah, yeah. And it just planted that seed of thought, and I'm still looking at this. I'm thinking, if you were to look at successful business people, successful life people, whatever it might be, there's very often that tale of where things went bad, where the inspirational speaker on stage talks about when they lost their wife, or, or they had that traumatic accident like you are talking about. This is not to knock that at all. No, 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 no at all. But if I'm writing a business plan on how to be successful... Lose uh, wife. <laughs> <laughs> make sure I go bust two years in, uh, have some family... It's, it's not something you're going to write in. So it's just that abstract question how, how do we how do we get people to to experience through that state of perspective and realization and how things can be an appreciation and all the rest of it that comes through as a result of the worst that can possibly happen without making that part of the business plan <laughs> well i suppose that comes down to risk doesn't it you, you have to take i mean the way the way my head injury occurred was the guy I was playing badminton against kept landing shots bang on the baseline. I was stretching and stretching. Every time I was stretching and stretching. So I was serving and then, you know, he'd plant one near the net, I was up near the net and then he'd launch one to the baseline. And I was, you know, so I was like overreaching all the time. And I just, what happened was I overreached too much and just, you know, I slammed into the wall. Um, and in the ambulance afterwards yeah she said to me Dave it was out you know so, <laughs> which is nice um, you know knock a man when he's down uh, so I was taking a risk I was taking a risk by, but I was taking a risk that was calculated to provide me with some sort of gain now that that's when these that's sometimes when these things happen that's that's self-imposed isn't mm. it um, but then there are the things that come that the external factors that you just cannot calculate for mm. you know um, you know being hit by a bin lid in a hurricane or something you know you just you can't calculate for that stuff uh, you just I don't know, are we getting so hung up on being able to quantify every little thing in life? You know, where's where's the where's the random? I, I tell you what, when when I'm on one thing, I love on if I'm performing. So don't so I used to perform at uh, Cabaret Heaven in Hebden Bridge. Uh, I did a couple of leads as well at the Broodnell Social Club and. I used to love it when things went wrong, or someone dropped a tray of glasses, or you know the sound went down, or someone came up with a particularly brilliant hackle. You know, I'd love it when someone threw me off, because then the challenge is, right, okay, how do I get back from here? And I think that's that's the thing is, um, you know, it's it's the getting back that teaches you the 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 thing itself. You know, getting smacked in the head doesn't teach you anything. Losing your wife is a horrible, horrible thing. And 
you know, that's not great, but it's the process of readjustment and learning afterwards. And I think this this was the basis of my comment on that thread, really, because I mean, I I've had people say to me like, oh yes, yeah, so there is a silver lining. Yeah, because I put it there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I made it and put it there and created it and, and went with that. And yeah, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have had that um, accident. But then if I hadn't have had that accident, I'd still be able to, um, you know, smell things properly and uh, not have to lie down at half past two every day or something. So, you know, it swings around about. Yeah, and I think it, it comes back. It's, it's the perfectionism, perfectionism element, isn't it? Um, because... Going back to the recovery. <laughs> just really loudly on the <laughs> microphone. Just a demonstration. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, going, it, it, I, I call it being comfortable in chaos. That's, that's yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. As you say, because when you set your own business up or whatever, there's, you can only control so many things and life's going to come at you. Uh, and if you can become comfortable in chaos and trust yourself in those moments to be resourceful and, and you'll be fine yep. yeah, as long as you can work, work through things then um, that, that's the secret not the actual thing itself um, but, it, but, the, but the, the barrier to that is the sense of perfectionism you've got to get it right got, it's got to be perfect it's got to work the way it's intended to work so on and so forth um, on one hand someone's saying oh you know there, so there's a silver lining that's, that's dismissing it in many ways yeah. and not treating it for what it is but actually what you're saying is that, well yes I've got this out of it but I've lost that kind of thing yeah. that only becomes an issue when we're measuring against perfection yeah uh, and what you've done and what you've learned that uh, adaptation process is to find something out of it yeah and if we can take something and run with that we've got something and that and something is above nothing I've had to as opposed to being that gap yeah I mean I, I've had to learn how to be a different person mm. But I think because of where I was at in my life at the time, what I realised was I can choose who I want to be. I'm, I'm at a point now where I can actually choose to be that person or that person or that person because I have to. Um, <clears throat> so that was, so I viewed that as a bit of a gift, you know, I reframed that as, a, as a, okay, well, let's, let's see that as a as an opportunity. And that's the, and obviously that's the key phraseology, and as a therapist, you'll know this anyway. But yeah. what you've done it's about taking those negative things and reframing yeah. it to find the positives. But, but if I didn't have somebody, that insight, but that's an internal thing. When somebody external says silver lining, yeah, they're, they're dismissing that journey you've been through, or, or it comes yeah. to perceive that. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. But I th and I think that that's and that's not to say. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's two sides to that. I mean, another thing that I realised, it's, it's such an education, this, is that people cannot understand what it's like to experience one's own trauma, whatever that trauma might be. But nor should you expect them to. You know, you, you, you don't really have the right to go around demanding that people sort of, kind of, you, you know, fall down and kind of go, oh, we get it, we get it, you know, because they won't. Mm. So don't mm. expect it, you know, but be open and be communicative mm. and, you know, just all the usual, you know, live a happy life sort of rules mm. uh, still apply. But someone else in, my, in, in, someone else who suffered the same thing, without those insights, without the resources to hand, 
there could be no silver lining there at all Absolutely. for them, you know. But we never talk about them. Yeah, and this know. is this is the thing that gets me with the the success books. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And people and going back to that point about oh, you need to have a failure to be successful, sort of thing. No, no, we've just heard about the ones who have been successful after failure. Yeah, yeah. We've not heard of the people who have got even worse after failure. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of them not around anymore to tell us that story. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the the message that we get from the books and the, the inspirational speakers and this sort of thing is skewed in favour of those who have made it work. Yeah. So of course that's And what comes right. after success? What is success? <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, that's, it's, only, it's only up and down, isn't it? Good follows bad. Yeah. And, you know? and we, need the, we need these dynamics to make the whole thing spin. You know, coming, so coming back to you know, how do you write in the the unforeseen how do you write in how do you write chaos into your business plan I suppose what you do is you, you don't try and pin everything down mm. if you're not sure about something then just leave it just leave a gap you know, it, will, it will fill itself because nature abhors a vacuum something will occur to fill that you know and this is this is um, you know this is a creative approach a truly creative approach not a sort of See, creativity is another one of those areas that business and the, the sort of corporate world have latched onto. And but what they want is a sort of a problem-solving creativity that does things at a lower cost yeah. than someone else. Give me the ten steps yeah, yeah. in order to be able to create something new. But what creativity really is is making a hell of a mess and then seeing what happens and running with that and seeing where that takes you. And that's and that's kind of how evolution works as well. It's this, you know, that's chaos, isn't it? And then patterns emerge. We recognise those patterns, and we associate with them, and we develop them into something else. And the things that work, work. Yeah, the yeah. That don't work, Leave it? space within your business to. I think we could have a whole new coaching model here, Andrew. The, the chaos coaching. <laughs> Nixon and Miller chaos coaching. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do a the. Um, Last presentation I did at the Hot Networking that we met uh, was um, um, why goals are bad. Absolutely, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, it, it, and ultimately, what you're talking about, and this is my view, is that you there's, there's, there's two elements that you need to have to get to, to manage that chaos. And one is essentially what you've been talking about: is you've got to understand yourself, you've got to know who you are, trust yourself, know your values, know what you believe in, and and and, and, and it starts from inside. Mm -hmm. And then there's another thing, which is a, v a direction of where I want to go. Yeah. And I'm not attached to when that happens. I'm not attached to how far I go. But it's a general direction that I want to go in. And then whatever happens, whatever you get buffered, you know who you are. You can stand on a rock and you can manoeuvre around all the obstacles because you know roughly where you're going. But you don't need to know it in that absolute visualisation, down to every brick and all that sort of mm. stuff. And you don't need, definitely don't need to know the no. steps all the way in between. No. Because they are going to change. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I mean, this this is a principle of, um, of 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 psychotherapy as well, isn't it? Is that you know we we have a certain set of skills that get us to a point in a process, and through the process of getting to that point, we in ourselves change, and those tools are no longer useful because we've developed. So we need a new set of skills. We need to relearn stuff. Or, or, or learn new things in order to then progress forward, which will cause 
change again and then you know and so it goes on this it's sort of like plateaus and and hills if you like um so you know if you map out 10 years uh then the change you go through you're going to go off course mm. like almost straight away you're going to be off course or so you, you stay on course and get miserable because <laughs> that's even worse because you've changed and that's no that's longer like, the course you should be but you feel because you committed to that course yeah, yeah. five years ago well I've got to stick with it now I think, look like a failure yeah <laughs> I think then you're a psychopath aren't you <laughs> if you do that if you just if you just uh, in ten years time that will happen if you just and I'm doing a straight line that is just an out and out psychopath do they, they do they absolutely and they've yeah, yeah. committed to it now and yeah. I cannot deviate because if I deviated from it I would have failed. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that puts huge pressure. So you never learn anything. Yeah. You know. Uh, There's a great TED talk by a a big hero of mine called Keith Johnston who wrote a book called Improvisation for the Theatre. And he's a brilliant man. And he did a TED talk on uh, um, being average. You know, and sort of kind of like everyone's saying, do your best, be the best you can. It's like, no. So just be be average or do worse, you know. And his argument is, I mean, this is coming from a theatrical point of view, a performance point of view, but it still applies, I think. You know, when you're operating at, you know, optimal performance, maximum performance, the system is just completely stressed. There's no slack there. There's no room for growth. There's no room for learning. Uh, there's no room for happiness, you know. You, you, everything's at the max. So uh, be average take your time and you know make that make those increments smaller um, but what happens is the process becomes more enjoyable mm. you have time to uh, notice other things take advantage of other things you know so. yeah uh, Michael Neal is a uh, I've read quite a bit of his stuff it says a similar thing you know strive for an average day yeah, yeah, yeah. Because actually, your average day is pretty bloody good. <laughs> it's the yeah, bad days you'll avoid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You say those amazing days don't come along. So then, when you don't have an amazing day, then you beat yourself up for not having an amazing day. Absolutely, you start going, yeah. oh, but I was meant to have a brilliant, I was meant to be brilliant today. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, actually, if you just. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep on that level, everything you say. Yeah. You, you bring in new stuff, you appreciate what's going on. Stop putting the pressure on yourself to be brilliant, and you will have been brilliant. There you yeah. go. <laughs> oh, I'm brilliant again. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, uh, well, Kaizen, isn't it? That's that's basically what 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 we're talking about there is the principle of of Kaizen, which is the Japanese. Um, it it means it means I think it I think the literal translation is little good. Yeah. So you do a little good every day, um, and. It's something that uh, something I'd known about, but then it was introduced to me by uh, the, the therapist that I was seeing uh, to manage some of the, the head injury symptoms. And he said, "Dave, you know, he said just he said, just one small thing every day, and then the next day, you know, you add something else, and it's it's a very very natural way to stimulate growth, you know. And it, it could be anything. And, and now what I do is." Um, if I have one of those small achievements every day, I kind of I acknowledge it and I just sort of say kaizen, yes, um, and it's and that 
kind of brings me, it brings a smile to my face. Well, you, you know. well, you've had a good day, because you make progress. There you go, yeah. I can knock off now. <laughs> And we are more, we're pressured to go, like, oh, I've got to work 15 hours, and, you know, you really don't. Yeah. You really, really don't. And, and this is the thing, you know, Jake, you say about, you know, I can knock off now, and it's no point this fear of it, but the reality is, is that obviously we need to have downtime, there's that bit, but your average human being can't sit around and do nothing. No, we're built for off. doing stuff, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So when you step away from the pressure of doing things and then knock off, you'll end up doing something that actually is probably more relevant, probably yeah, more yeah, yeah. enjoyable, yeah. probably yeah. more productive, because you just go into your natural state of life. Yeah. And actually we should knock off more. That's a <laughs> I phrase that, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we used to do this thing with we'd go if we went, on, you know, go on holiday with the kids, go to a festival, go on a camping holiday with the kids. Um, this is when I was with my wife, so we had four, uh, two each. We had four of them. Two of them were like teenagers. So it was that, you know, and you'd get there and straight away, it'd be, oh, I want this. Can we buy that? I want to buy this. I want to buy one of those. And I used to get quite sort of stressy about it. And um, and my wife said, she said. Let them get bored. Just let them get bored. And then they'll kind of go through it. And then they'll just entertain themselves. And she's absolutely right. You know, and I think, you know, the value of boredom. I've researched boredom. <laughs> it's a fascinating area. Um, you need to allow yourself to actually sort of sink into that place of uh, absolute, sort of, you know, not having anything to do. And then the agitation starts to kick in. You go, oh, I feel a bit bored. Feel a bit bored. Feel a bit bored. And and it's like the the something's spinning, uh, and then it finds a gear, and you're off. Pottering, I think, is one of the most productive things that we can do. I That's think pottering, not pottery. Pottery, no pottering. You know, yeah. women do this really well. Women, uh, you know, I, you know, I can sit at a friend's house. I'll sit at the table, having a cup of tea and having a conversation and in the space of an hour she's like you know rewired the house or something it's kind of like you know pottering little things little bits here and there it's incredible how much you can achieve and then once all that's done then you have the headspace to address those big meaty things that are part of you know the business you know writing a business plan writing a marketing strategy you know putting together a load of content that kind of thing and again i think Touches back what the thing that we were actually was about the conversation before we actually started the podcast. But, um, but I thought that's the conversation we were still having. Well, yeah, <laughs> it will be by the end of it. The um, the external there's a, there's a you know, we were talking before about getting back to nature and getting keeping one, one foot connected to, yeah, yeah, to reality yeah. rather than and how how one society can detach ourselves from actually natural life. And yeah. We're in this space where there is an expectation and a habit of requiring to be stimulus from an external source. So we, we want to listen to podcasts, watch television, uh, watch sport. You know, we're, we're reliant on external stimuli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it might be. It's passive stimulation as well. Yeah. Whereas, so as soon as we, we're cut off from that external signal, we move into a state of boredom, which is exactly what you're mm. talking about. 
Whereas when you go through the boredom, you come to the internal stimulation, mm -hmm. which is where creativity, creativity yeah, 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 and yeah. real shift and change comes from. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that. <laughs> I think the, the thing about um, external stimuli, especially, um, you know, TV, video, blah, blah, is they're very much sort of passive. Um, it's stimulation without any kind of effort. Um, the result of which is boredom. I feel like I'm about to repeat what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> But again, it, it's the, it, it's this, all the bits we touched on about this, we have to be brilliant, the drive to, to get things right, the, the, the being forced down a certain path that we need to do. The, these are all structures that we're, we're creating ourselves to create external stimuli and forget to step back from the inside and internally, which is where the real insights are. So if we're wanting to move forward, progress in an enjoyable manner, it starts from inside development yeah. rather than external development. And the external comes from the inside, inside out, rather than outside in. Yes. The internal external is a is a really fascinating area. Uh, because it kind of you know, in a sort of, there are elements of the internal which are externalised, and the, the external is internalised. And there's a, you know, there's a, there's a dialogue that occurs between, between the internal and the external. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, at, at which point you start thinking, well, where's the, you know, isn't this is, these are aspects of the same environment, uh, which is consciousness. And I think coming back to the the sort of what sparked this 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 podcast about you know that the, the thing about transformation and stimulating growth uh, that's the starting point is understanding that you are not a separate entity from what's going on around you. That you are very much uh, a part of uh, a, a broader, uh, a, a broader environment, a broader existence. Is that something you would say is both, the biggest? Both internally and externally. So is that something you would say is one of the biggest learning points you had coming through? The I used to wake up not uh, well in the morning when my symptoms were really bad I would wake up and I didn't know whether or not I existed so that's, that's kind of where that's that's where that's coming from now I'm not saying that you have to go through that this is my question but yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying that you have to go through that but you should at least address the notion that that your sense of individuality is, is more of a construct than you'd like to think. You are more involved in this world, you are more involved in, a, in this kind of uh, existence and this consciousness that we all share. You're more involved in that than, than you'd like to think. Uh, and by enforcing a separation via that sort of individualism, that's quite harmful. Uh, 
So, and that comes back to connecting with what is natural, uh, identifying those internal stimuli that connect you with the world around you. you know? That for me is where that, if, if you want to stimulate that growth, if you want to find that kind of like, if you want to, that sort of post-traumatic growth, that's where it has to start, with a, with a sense of um, connection with something that perhaps you weren't so aware of before. You know, uh, how did you do that? How did I do that? I did it through writing, I, did, I went for hypnotherapy, which was really, really helpful. I did it through lots and lots of breathing exercises. Uh, I, everything I did, I just did to sort of just try and connect with what was going on were you around me because internally I felt so disconnected. Were you deliberately looking to connect? Was that the yeah, 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 yeah. I was making up. bread every morning. People, the whole house was putting on like you know pounds and pounds just to <laughs> sheer volume of carbohydrates. <laughs> because I got really into making bread because it's so visceral. You know, it's such a basic thing, and you're feeding people, feeling needed, and that was helping me internally to sort of reconnect with something much more expansive. That was helping me to kind of re-establish a kind of consciousness that had been dislocated by so the injury that I'd sustained. An individual soul has no meaning or purpose. It's only when connecting with others that meaning can exist. Our souls. <laughs> I missed that reference. <laughs> Our, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. It's only it's only through connectivity, collectivity, um, that, that that we yeah that we generate that meaning. And by you know, you know, isolating yourself from that is is harmful. So, how do we? How how do we how do we stimulate that growth without the trauma? Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what we're doing now, maybe that's what we're starting to do now, just by responding to a post and having a conversation and asking for other people to, to talk about that and maybe, you know, maybe bring this up at a breathing spaces, you know, because it's, it's important. I mean, the, the key word for me is, is curiosity. Mm. Whichever. But um, yeah, if you if you can get us in where growth doesn't happen is when we start being curious. Yeah. When we get to that point where we think we know it, yeah. or we've got the answers, or we've got all we need. We don't need to understand this. We don't need to understand that. We don't need to reflect whatever. Then we're in lockdown. Once you start getting curious about whatever it might be, things start changing because you yeah. start expanding your mind. And being curious about ourselves is one of those starting points. Like, who am I? Why do I behave the way I behave? What is yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing that drives me? How do I connect with other people? Go to yeah, the next yeah. How do I interact? What, do, what Together, what can we create? Where can I go? And, and without putting pressure on to come with an answer, but just be curious. Yeah. Um, and then you start unpicking things. Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, asking a question being curious for curious for curiosity's sake and not necessarily coming up with with any particular answer i think there's a huge amount of value in that you know just the process it doesn't always have to be an outcome it doesn't always have to be some sort of product at the end of something that can 
it can just be you know a story in its own right. And I wonder again if that's part of this sort of that we always talk about attention span shrinking. I'm not so sure on that, but I think it's just a habit we've got into. But anyway, but it, a, a short attention span requires a, a, a conclusion or an answer now. Yeah. So like the breathing space is an hour and a half. I said it. We ain't gonna get, may not get conclusions in this hour and a half. But that's fine. But we, we, we're sort of trained to say, well, I went to a networking event and I didn't get a, didn't get a lead. I didn't yeah, get a yeah, yeah, out yeah. Of that one meeting. Yeah. Because we, we, we sort of condition ourselves to get results here and now. Whereas the truth is, this is just one day out of a load of days, and what will come will come. And if we start, yeah. Understand ourselves better, set the direction. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll manoeuvre through the mindset. Well, also, you know, the way information is sort of broadcast to people now, it's sort of like, you know, oh, here's the thing. And oh two seconds later, oh, here's another thing. And, and they say, <laughs> attention span's getting smaller. Go, well, no, it isn't. It's like the, things that are, the things that you're trying to grab people's attention with. That's what's getting smaller. And, and it's, people's perception is, is still what it is and what it was. And, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think we're more robust than that as human beings. I think, I think, it, I think it takes more than sort of, you know, 30 years of, of the technology area to, to sort of de-evolve yeah. us. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly relaxed. There's a lot the of guff around that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I mean, the amount of sort of times as well, you know, you hear people say, oh, I didn't have my phone for a week and it was such a revelation. And now, you know, it only takes a week or a couple of days. Take, take someone's technology away for a couple of days and they revert to, you know, whatever they were before that. 1970s, I suppose. You know. Neuroplasticity, as I believe, is the uh, is the phrase. I don't even know. Well, no, I don't. I don't even. I think. I don't even know if that's neuroplasticity. I mean, that's that's hard work. Oh, that's another thing altogether. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, but as you say, the media behind it because marketing and news is just raw marketing because it's all about getting ratings, so they want as many people to watch mm. the news as possible. Um, marketing is all about now, all about stimulating the amygdala. Fear selling. Mm -hmm. I need, in order to, to grab your attention, I need to scare you, so you go, ooh, what's that? And then I'll try and offer you the solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we lose the solution bit because the news is just throwing things that just scare us. That's yeah, the yeah, job, yeah. Because that will grab, grab our attention. Yeah. And so we're just getting bombarded all over the place by things that scare us. Yeah, yeah. I know you scare in a generic sense. It may not yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. But... That stimulate the media anyway. In a, in a normally, in a, it's the in a culture of disruption, isn't it? Uh, which no wonder you've got a huge amount of anxiety and well, yeah, uh, quite. As a consequence, quite. because that is just being stimulated all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And, and this is one of the issues with with sort of you know mental health. Is it's a I wrote an article the other day and I said in that you know it, mental health and issues around mental health is is a collective problem and the solutions have to be collective it's not it's like if you've broken your leg resetting it everyone experiences the pain of resetting it you know it, it, mental health is a bit like that everyone experiences each other's pain to some degree uh, mental health is a collective issue yeah, because it's, it's roots, well, 
the sort of mental health issues that we're talking about, anxiety, stress, depression, those sorts of things, are socially placed. They're usually responses to um, socio-economic, political stresses that are external. Yeah. So we experience that pain collectively to lesser and greater degrees. So the solution to these things has to be collective. It's not about making the individual well. This is why this is why for uh, you know short-term reactive conditions, medication doesn't work. You know you need group talking therapies or group therapies or just some physical exercise. You know with a bunch of other people uh, to to address these things. You know because the it's not the individual that is unwell. The individual is experiencing a set of symptoms as a result of. Uh, 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 a, a situation of dis-ease within their community or their society. So that's yeah. another thing that we've talked about. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I mean, just some medication. Med medications are sticking faster. You know, all that does. All that does is I'm using. Down. I take medication at the moment. Yeah, and sticking faster is useful. I'm not and, knocking. Yeah, yeah, plasters. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. The point is, they don't cure the fundamental underlying no. issue. I mean, if, if I could afford it, I would be using CBD oil rather than um, uh, rather than sertraline uh, because it's, it's a more natural product, it's more effective, uh, and it's uh, less harmful over a long period. So, yeah, I mean, there's sticking plasters and there's sticking plasters, yeah. you know. You know. Um, I, I don't know, you'll, you'll probably move more up in it now, but obviously there was the news yesterday where a, at least a couple of CBDs have been approved on the NHS, but I'll have may not be relevant to you but um, they've actually approved something out there. Right, good. Um, but, um, there, there was an interview with um, a lot of uh, some some of the um, best research uh, on cannabinoids being done at the moment is coming out of Israel mm. and there was an interview with a researcher in Israel and they're uh, saying you know so so you're saying that uh, this that, that cannabis is uh, really good Medically, it has lots of applications and no side effects. And they say, yeah, that's, that's it. But he said, so what, it's like this wonder drug, but it's, there's no downside? They're like, yeah, basically. They said, but there must be something bad about it. Nope, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> so, this guy could not believe that, you know, here is uh, a natural substance. That, but this is like, well, this is, this is similar to what we were talking about as well, isn't it? Kind of... Um, almost sort of kind of historical based progress you know progress isn't necessarily all about uh, uh, sort of making everything a chemical refining it all and, and applying technology progress can also be uh, learning how to integrate with our natural world more effectively um, so that we don't die. I mean, That's progress, isn't it? <laughs> Back to what we get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go, Maslow again. Yeah, yeah. Can't run a business if he's dead. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Chaos you know, coaching. How, how, how many times has uh, there been uh, an old wives' tale, historical yeah. medicine, some sort, where everyone says it works, yeah. and science says no, it doesn't, and then eventually they go, oh, it does. Yeah. Now we've done the test to show that it works. It's like, yeah, we that. <laughs> I went on a I went on a mushroom foraging uh, trip recently uh, in uh, in Ramsbottom, and it was 
led, I can't remember the name of the guy who led it. It was brilliant. He'd, he'd been taught about fungi by his um, grandma, you know. So he'd been learning about fungi since he was like four years old. Or and, um, and he showed us one called turkey tail. And you've probably seen it growing on logs. The semicircular thing with like light and dark brown bands on it. It's called turkey tail. Now, they gave an infusion of this to women undergoing uh, cancer treatment in America. And what they found was that uh, the, the um, oh, what do you call it, the treatment for cancer? Chemo, yeah, the chemo. They found that the chemo killed the cancer, but the turkey tail infusions um, reduced, significantly reduced, the side effects from the chemo. And since they found that this stuff, turkey tail, um, you can brew it up as a tea, you can buy it on the internet now, um, or you can just go and pick it off a log in the woods. It's really good wrong. for the immune system. You know, it's like an English echinacea, you know, which is a North American herb that all hippies use for, you know, if you get a cold, they say, take echinacea, man. No, take turkey tail. And there's another one, speaking of sticking plasters, there's another fungus that if you cut it into strips, you can use it as sticking plaster, it binds to itself, mm. it's got antiseptic in it, and it tightens as it dries. And it's, it's even better than a sticking plaster. Mm. You know, so, yeah, we've got so much to learn. You know, there's still there's so much to learn. And everything's growing, everything's developing, everything's evolving all the time, so there will never, never be, you know, you, you know, it never stops. And that, that's one thing that I learned with, with the head injury as well, is that, you know, I, I, there were some quite dark places that I ended up in there. And they never stop. You know, there's my ability to comprehend them stops, but there's no end to that. Going the other way, you know, in terms of growth, stepping into the light, if you like, same again. Our, our ability to comprehend and perceive is limited, but what we are comprehending and perceiving never ends. And that's what we're a part of. You say is limited. Pardon? You say is limited what we can What we can perceive and comprehend is limited, is limited by, yeah. Just because of the, the restraint. I mean, but the, the, is there an argument to say that we, well, you whilst can't. there are limits, we often shrink those limits even more? I think, yeah, I think sometimes those limits, yeah. And that's that, yeah, and sometimes for the purpose of risk aversion. Yeah. Back, like, the beginning about yeah, yeah, yeah. Take risks. yeah. Um, so, so actually, by you know, risk aversion is a way of closing yourself down to what is possible. Mm. Uh, and you know, this is where risk takers are very often seen as you know great entrepreneurs or great visionaries or great thinkers. Perhaps because they have a, a more open, they're opening more of their senses up, or they're opening more of their kind of you know acuities up. To, to what is going on in the world. But then how do you express that? How do you, how do you relate that as well? That's another question. How do you communicate? If you're, if you're perceiving things that other people aren't, how do you then communicate that? Mm. Get back to the damage control system damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, can yeah. see something you can't see. What is it? I can't tell you. I can't, you can't see it. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just, so then it's establishing a frame of reference. I suppose, which is where creativity comes in. It's like, oh, if I build a big 
virtual reality machine then I'll be able to kind of give people an idea of you know then one or two people go oh yeah I get it and I think that's kind of where coming back to the underlying question of how we make change without having to go through trauma is because the status quo situation is the safe situation is where we are naturally programmed to go because we are risk averse we are not aware of where we can be mm. we, we, so that most people go through life in a state of it's alright yeah. it's okay yeah. don't rock the boat because it could get worse and not and because they aren't aware of what could be above and beyond and are probably scared about what could be down beneath they don't even think about becoming curious to see what's beyond them if that makes sense so it's about making people aware that there is something more you've got to trust because they don't trust it's like it's it's the matrix (laughs) well I was thinking of Plato's cave actually yeah probably probably based on Plato's cave anyway but but it there's something you're telling me there's something out there that I don't know exists and you're telling me to take a leap of faith and go for it but I don't know exists so why should I go for it and without something outside pushing them through that barrier and then you go oh it does exist or having to fight their way through and crawl through as a result of the, the thing and then they go hey everybody this thing exists and they go I don't believe you I trust you and so proceed yeah so that thing that, 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 that mechanism that pushes people through that's that's the trauma isn't yeah. it yeah Forced, uh, forced trauma. Yeah, forced, forced trauma. Well, it, and, it, you know, it, I mean, if it, you it opens the gates to both up, up, up and down, and then it's up to the individuals' in, internal resources. Whether globally, they I mean, nationally and, and even globally, you'd argue. You know, we're, we're all going through a trauma at the moment. Well, so maybe, so this 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 comes back to the collectivist kind of argument that you know we are all experiencing trauma at the moment um, because there is so much uncertainty and it's at those times that people start looking for new ideas that look that, that, that's when the risk of stagnation uh, outweighs the risk of taking a leap of faith it's no longer a leap of faith it's a leap of necessity you know, because what's what's pushing you towards that is actually more hazardous which is stagnation and you know, mm. death. I'm going to keep going about that strap line. I'm going to make that bloody strap line. I'm going to miss when you're dead. Yeah. Um, but no, I like Don't that. Don't die. Thing. Live. <laughs> Thanks, George Michael. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a revamping of that one. Um, no, I like that. I like, um, it, it's moving a leap of faith and a leap of necessity. And I think if if you become curious and start exploring what can be. And you realise there's so much more to life than the what the life that we are programmed to experience. Yeah. If you look into that enough, you can get to the point where you realise, no, I want some of that. I'd like to experience that. And then it shifts from becoming a leap of it's still an element of faith, but it's more necessity. It's like, well, I know I don't want the life I've currently got. I want to find more. Yeah. And you make that transition from faith to necessity, which I I think this is why um, more and more people are looking at 
things like coaching is that you know by ritualizing that process you kind of make it real uh, you, you you invest in it uh, you invest in that process you you whether in terms of energy or time or money or whatever you ritualize it through a set of structured events and, and you feel in yourself okay right that's that is a transformational process and, and you know, I mean, there's, there's nothing new in that, you know, we've been using ritual and, you know, all these kinds of things, and, you know, thought leaders and what have you to guide us through those rituals, using that sort of um, process for, you know, thousands of years. Uh, so, which I think is, that that's a pretty good, it's proven, you know, it's proven. And this is what I say when I, you know, with my... Um, with my presentation uh, workshops and coaching, is you know I base my uh, I base my processes in, in the performing arts, which has its roots in classical theatre. So you know I've got well, about two and a half thousand years of evidence to back me up. You know, it's just sort of like, yeah, how much do you want? Yeah. <laughs> not there's anything. We shouldn't be. So, you know, see, you know, <laughs> not everything has to be new, no. unique. And what's the word? The, 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 oh, innovative. <laughs> Shut up. You know what I mean? Oh, I've invented this thing. What does it do? I don't know, but it's innovative. It's completely useless. Uh, and it's made out of uh, liquid uranium. And it, I had to kill babies to make it. But there you go. It's innovative, so it's all right. You know, um, just stop it. Just calm down. Everyone, just stop it. Calm down. You know, take five. Uh, let's go and uh, let's go and look at a river for a bit, and just have a think about this. Because uh, uh, <laughs> life doesn't have to be as complicated as we think it does. And in fact, when it, it, it's you know, I mean, I'm at the moment I'm living in a place that's not exceptionally, uh, you know, extravagant, and uh, boy, am I happy. You know, my life is very simple at the moment, and I am very, very happy. You know, uh, and that's come from yeah. It, it, there was a there was a catalyst for change. Uh, there was a lot of destruction that came from that catalyst, but there's also a lot of learning and a lot of self development. You know, uh, yeah, simple's good. Making things simple can be very complicated. So, you know, that, that's the process. But that doesn't mean it can't be enjoyable. No, absolutely. But, it, but again, it's this it's sort of need, I think the phrase is making it simple. And we have this society now where we're, we're, there is a shift towards the mindfulness and the consciousness and that sort of thing. But it, it, again, it becomes, like you said, Processized and ritualized and that kind of so it's more doing stuff yeah. in order to find a way of not doing stuff whereas actually what we want to be doing is just doing less stuff but yeah how do you ritualize not doing nothing <laughs> and the thing is just <laughs> not do it um, but, but, but stepping back to I think I've talked about it before somewhere else but it, I remember going to a number of meetings with other coaches and people into the space and sometimes you can get too much going on you know um, but it, but it almost becomes like a competition as to who can 
Who's more Me- mindful? <laughs> yeah, who's more mindful? I'm so mindful. <laughs> who's done the most meditation today? And, and how many chakras have you released in the last hour? Oh, hour? my you know, God. And, 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 and what's the most revolting green liquid that you're drinking for breakfast? And uh, you know, four in the morning. Absent. Absent. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more results, yeah. Uh, <laughs> said the guy with the brain injury. Yeah. <laughs> Psychodrama. You've got to be real. You know, yeah. you've got to be real. I don't, I don't want to live a life that's just... You know, because that's just... Isn't that just introducing a new kind of sterility? Yeah, this is it. You know, that's just... just, just There's all this plastic crap in my life. I'm going to replace it with wooden crap, and now I feel better about myself. You've changed nothing. Yeah, we're we're, (laughs) we're, we're not polluting the the seas anymore, but you know what? We've started cutting down the trees again because (laughs) suddenly paper's back. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Um, Yeah, there was a... Yeah, the sort of free trade economy uh, thing where people yeah replace everything they hate in their life with things that yeah it's nonsense it's utter nonsense but the the, the, the mind it's interesting I was thinking about this on the way in this morning you know mindfulness spirituality um, all, all these sort of concepts and we were talking you know when I was working in mental health like 20 years ago it was like you know we were you were talking about all this stuff then and people were kind of going no 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 nonsense have some Zyprexa (laughs) much better when you start shaking you know it's working you know that kind of thing and um, I think it's really you know and also you know working on working on festivals and you know hanging out with you know people who've been living that lifestyle since you know sort of 60s 70s um it's interesting how this sort of capillary action, uh, uh, this capillary network is sort of this stuff sort of seeping into the mainstream now in a very, very real way. Mm. Not just the odd bod turning up and kind of saying boom shanker, peace and love, but actually, you know, the nuts and bolts of it, you know, sort of sustainability, uh, mindfulness, you know, more expanded thinking all of these kinds of things you know reaching a, reaching an area reaching a world that you know we never thought we kind of would do uh, now if I throw my cynical chip into the hat into the ring um, or might argue realistic it's because people found a way to monetize it and because of the society mm-hmm. that we live in it's, it's a strategy that we need to think of. We, want, we need to make a change in the world. We've got to find about people to monetize it. So, um, you've got anxiety. If I give you a drug, I make money out of it. Mm. But hey, no, no, don't go off talking to people, which is free. I can't make money out of that. Mm. Um, so, drugs, drugs, drugs. And the drug industry has the influence. And we've heard all the stories about that. Oh, hang on. You mean I can run courses where people chat, which they can do for free, but I'll charge you for it and sell you CDs and downloads and blah 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 mm. oh I can make money out of that come on in mindfulness so they found a way to monetize it whereas it started off there was no money to be made um, the green and the green thing started off as being a bit of a movement then businesses realized that CSR made looked good on a marketing point of view and and so there's there it started off a cynical level in terms of if we do more stuff for that looks good for society and that kind of thing uh, it will boost our profits or boost our marketing we can say what we do but then once it becomes established then actually you can then start making something from it and you can actually start getting some more 
because it's become established, you can then make a yeah, real yeah, genuine sure. change yeah. out of it. So, yeah. so to attack the society, you have to use society's weapons. Yeah. So I'm being cynical, but I'm also... Well, what you've done there is described how monetization actually promotes the growth of these yeah. ideas. Yeah. So what's your point? <laughs> Why is that cynical? As I say, it's realistic. <laughs> but that's not cynical, is it? That's realistic. And I think that's what that's perhaps one of the things that's changed is that, you know, monetization isn't a bad thing. It's a terrible word, mm. it, you know, grammatically, just in terms of how it sounds. You know, me being a writer, monetization is an abhorrent word. And no one should ever use it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's wrong with making something profitable? Isn't it? You know, what's know, wrong with nice. that's a far nicer sounding word. Anyway, yeah, yeah. but that aside, uh, you know, what's wrong with monetization? Um, well, you, but I, I, you know, well, what's a, you know, a a a, 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 a monk. A monk going out and bestowing wisdom and enlightenment on people with his begging bowl, is that monetization of enlightenment? You know? Hasn't hasn't this been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? You know, it's it's not really going away. Uh, but I think that what I mean the microeconomy has done a lot to change people's perspectives on mm. money I think Power has shifted in yeah yeah for sure um, I think that uh, and I know what you're saying there is a there is a you know the dark underbelly of business is is greed and corruption you know and that's there you know, without a doubt but that's there in everything uh, and, and you know there's a judgment being put on the word cynic there which has come over time but it doesn't isn't attached to the original word the word it might be cynic, critical so, yeah. um, so it wasn't a judgment in that sense but it's acknowledgement I guess yeah 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 that, that the shift has happened because people found a way to monetize yeah so and the I, question was you it's always interesting how it's come through well that's because yeah and, and I and I think yeah yeah so, so it's, it's good so it's not coming from an altruistic <coughs> hurrah everybody's coming on board no what I'm saying is no it's yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, but uh, I mean, if you look at if you look at where it's coming from, so I I referred to sort of festivals, you know, you know green fairs where you know I can, you know, I've, I've performed on a few cycle powered stages in the past. They're great. Uh, you know, the sound starts going out. Pedal harder, pedal harder. It's, it's brilliant. It's the best audience participation you can get. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were plenty of people making money in those environments. You know, it was, it wasn't a very formal economy. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't always an entirely legal economy, but it was an economy. Yeah. So that monetization of these things has always been there, but, oh, exactly. but, but it is now because, and I know what you're saying, it's sort of, don't, you know, take the rose tinted glasses off. Someone has to benefit from this. You know, there is, I don't, you know, there is no such thing as pure altruism. I don't, I don't really, you know, uh, I don't know what that would look like. No. I think it would look quite ugly and uncomfortable, really. Um, almost like some sort of... It's almost sort of evangelism, isn't it? Pure altruism. It's well, yeah, but even then you're getting... Exactly. Yeah, it, it, some then it's sort of cloaked, it. you know. There's still some benefit. So, uh, the, you know, that trade-off, that transaction yeah. is, is necessary. And again, it comes back to the societal... I think you go back about the poet and the... I don't make money in this kind of thing and all the rest of it, but just the phrase making money, it has negative attractions to it in society, or can do. I, mean, I, I think they've lessened. I think. Less, oh, I appreciate but, yeah. but just in that conversation there, when, when the phrase like making money, making money from, there's 
good an undercut hit from both sides of us that there's some negativity in it, which it obviously isn't the case because it's that's bartering. You know, money is our form of bartering, and when going back to you know, can't run a business if you're dead. <laughs> so you, that you, you can't run a business if you haven't got a sheep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, but you need money to put food on the table. So yeah, the, yeah. the Buddhist begging—that's how they. It's still a transaction, isn't it? Food. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they're dead, and they can't spread the word of transcendentalism and, and be, be, be one with the universe. Well, okay, once they transform, they you do become one with the universe. Okay, I was going to say, you should be able to spread the word of transcendentalism if you're dead, shouldn't you? Really? Just, <laughs> that's exactly that, that should, the way to do that it. That should be the test. <laughs> <laughs> and then they come back and do it again. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but it's that short-term trade-off, is that actually I'm, I'm not going out to work on a trade-off. I, I, they, they accept gifts. Yeah. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, the true Buddhist would accept meat. Yeah. They're not all vegetarian and vegan. No. They wouldn't kill, but it's, they would accept meat and eat meat. So we get me out over in the West, we have this vision of all, they're all, uh, everyone, you know, put them in a box, that's what it is. All Buddhists are vegan. But no, they will they, they will take whatever's offered. Yeah, they don't kill, yeah. but they will accept. Yeah. And yeah. that's a very different, different distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> wow, the mis misperception of other cultures is uh, that's a whole other area, isn't it? You know. But a misperception of our own culture. Well, and yeah. You know, that, that's what the pillars of society and the, the the structures that we end up getting trapped in take us away from our genuine culture. So, what have we learned here? We don't need to learn anything. What have we? What, we what, don't need to learn what, Have we? Have we? <laughs> Let go. <laughs> Let go. <laughs> well, okay, okay. That's another. That's another thing, isn't it? That's the, 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 let go. We don't need to learn. And I know you're joking when you say that. There is a fine line, isn't there, between the kind of just letting go of everything and nothing matters, which is sort of nihilism. <laughs> And having a more open perspective, should we say? I think this is where things start getting tripped up. Yeah, and this is where marketeers sort of like oh, yeah. drive so their wedge in. It, yeah, and it's all down to the semantics and the syntax. Yeah, yeah. And what matters actually mean, and actually is meaning different to matter. So you can have meaning without it mattering. Uh, well, then it doesn't mean anything, does it? Or does it? Well, no, it doesn't. Give me an example. Bear in mind this is radio. Bear in mind radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. See, I've got to come up with a perfect example now for my perfectionism issues. Um, okay, so... Today's broadcast is coming in from Frankie and Minnie's. <laughs> I would say that we have a lot of things we've touched on today are meaningful. Oh, I God, yeah, yeah, yeah. meaningful conversation going. But it doesn't matter whether it's going to be here's your Okay. Um, it doesn't matter whether we get an answer here and now. It doesn't matter that we've had the conversation. Ooh, I, I disagree. Because the conversation can happen again at another time with somebody else. Well, not the same conversation. That's fine. But it, yeah. so, so there's meaning in this moment. At any given moment, there is meaning. 
because it's the moment that we have. But the moon, that moment then goes, and we can have another moment, we can have meaning in that moment. It doesn't necessarily mean that that moment has to matter. Because ah, here's a different moment. here's a difference in perception then this is uh, right okay but it could be just how we so you're that. talking about a, a series of moments sequential moments hmm. and so we, that's not we, how I understand things I understand if we've got coming back to my point about if we've got ourselves anchored and we've got that direction then it will find its direction and so that series of moments my understanding is that there is only one moment and the illusion of progressive moments is just you stepping in and out of it. Yeah. In and out of what? That moment. Where do you go when you're not in the moment? You retreat into your the illusion of self. But you're retreating into a delusion. What are you actually retreating into? Into the illusion of self. Yeah, the, the constructs that you call you, yeah. or the the the, the subjective you, is a different place to that objective now. That we're and yet, it's an illusion. Well, I was being a, that was a little bit that was a little bit flippant of me to call it an, an illusion. I was, this is where words I was, be, up. I was being a little bit derisible there, yeah. But, uh, but and I think this is for me the the going back to the derisive rather derisive, than derisive. the um, mindfulness and the meditation and, and all of these things yeah. are basic ways of educating us that our thoughts are separate from ourselves. Yeah. And that our, our, because we live in a world where we believe our thoughts and the illusion of self and and we think that all these things that are going on are actually the reality of the world. Yeah, yeah. The but, yeah, but the but thing the mindfulness is separating us from that and able to. But you know what, though, Andrew? I think people get too hung up about you know, or you've got to be in the moment. If you're not in the moment, you're some sort of failure. It's like mm. you know, you have a consciousness, you have a subjective self, you have an ego, you know, and you have a super ego. You have these things, and it's fine. Mm. Yeah. It's not a problem. Yeah. You know, you have flaws in your nature. You have, you know, I, you know, we have our stress behaviours. We have our scripts. You know, oh, that's fine. That's who you are. That that's what makes the world interesting. That's what makes nights. That's what makes nights out. You know, fun and sometimes you know uh, unexpected. And you know, these are the things that add colour to that. If all we did was just sit in the moment all the time. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you'd be a boring fart. You really would. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, don't do that. Yeah. You know, get, get, get your hands dirty. Yeah. You know, but remember that that's that's where you really are. You're yeah. in that space. And, you know, be mindful of that. Yeah, that's it, being aware of it. Yeah, and yeah, not yeah. Getting, and not getting attached to it. And upset yeah, but I, th I think some people are getting lost in this idea that mindfulness is somehow achieving some higher state of consciousness. And it's not. It's just... It's, it's just being mindful. It's, well, it, it, it's, it's what it says on the tin, you it, know. It is noting that we we do think these things, and it's okay to think. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Acknowledgement. About. Yeah, yeah. And there is a separation, and that's good. Thoughts are going to think, and they're going to shout. And so one, gonna, one of the great, one of my favourite words when it comes to things like this is permission. Like, yeah. Give yourself permission to X, Y, Z. Yeah. Or you have permission to, to do it, get that right, to do it, you know, because we, we restrict ourselves, 
we deny ourselves opportunities by not giving ourselves permission you know give yourself permission it's fine you're right what's going to happen tomorrow you'll get up and the world will carry on doing its thing uh, whether you're there or not you know life doesn't care it's us that care and we can can we choose what we care about absolutely absolutely yeah 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 I think we have to we should do you know choose what we care about Absolutely. and therefore it's our tr- as opposed to, to caring about something that somebody else tells us we should be caring about yeah well yeah, I mean that's a big one I mean I mean I'm I'm on the other side of 40 now and you know I'm starting out this you know I've recently started on this journey of building a business and kind of I know some people might think well, it's quite late in the day but actually I spent quite a lot of my life doing things that I thought other people wanted me to do or doing what I thought I should be doing or you know not doing what I genuinely wanted to do I was in bits and pieces here and there you know I've always been performing I've always been writing but I never launched at it with the vigour that I really kind of wanted to my energy was dispersed amongst so many other things uh, and I, and I I went through a kind of a, when I realised that I went through a kind of a grieving process of sort of f- feeling that I'd lost the grief for the life that I hadn't lived yeah. and then but then coming out at the end of that it's like but all of those things have brought me to where I am right now moving forward dispersing my energies amongst so many different things now that I've brought them all together and made sense of them and fitted them all together in a way that makes sense and is useful I've got this kind of Swiss army knife thing going on you know what I mean I'm not just not just the normal Swiss army knife but the special edition Swiss army knife you know what I mean with a, there was about that thick <laughs> you know, with, with seven knives on it and, uh, and, and a microscope and, you know all sorts of stuff and you know and that's that's great you know fate takes us to where wherever we're going based on the choices that we make um, the reason why it's important to be mindful of that moment that we're always in is because that's where you learn how to bring all that together that's where you learn kind of where you want to go next with that I don't know if I'm being entirely clear with that but these are very sort of these aren't entirely clear things that we're we need a priest or something Andrew we need someone who knows about this we'll shit maybe a doctor I don't know and we, again, we're striving for that sense of purpose. But you know, if it makes sense to you, well, I'm hoping it makes sense to you. <laughs> there was an assumption. There. Is that a blank look? <laughs> but when you were talking there, it was talking from something where it made sense. To yeah, me. yeah, totally. That doesn't necessarily mean you can communicate it to somebody else yet, no. or in that sense, you may not have done. But it kind of, kind of doesn't matter <laughs> yet. Um, you do that because as long as you're clear about where you're going, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Do you know, no, sorry, no, I was just going to say, do you know an interesting thing that, that just occurred to me there when you were saying that was, I may not be able to communicate that to you in a way that you will understand, or 
you may understand what I'm saying, but not be able to communicate that you've understood it in a way that's. You understood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is uh, this is the beautiful thing about communication. Is yeah, it's yeah, yeah. a constant delving into. You know, have, do we? Yeah, you know, understood. how do we all know that? You know, that's the same brown that is. Uh, anyway, exactly. yeah. so that's a cyclical conversation that goes yeah, nowhere. That's what it's. Yeah, it's a student conversation. Yeah. And um, so the question is, and in that space of purpose and where you're going in direction and starting to get connected towards your end goal and all these sort of, or direction or whatever it is, what makes your bits tingle? What makes my bits tingle? Seeing people get it. Uh, seeing. I. One of the first plays that I wrote, um, the director said to me, before we, before we started the rehearsal process, we engaged in what's called the dramaturgical process, which is the relationship between director and, and, uh, and playwright. And, and Neil, who was both my director and my lecturer at the time, so it was a student piece, he, uh, he said, how do you want your audience to feel when they, when they go home? I was like, right, okay. And I thought about it. I said, well, do you know what, Neil? I said, I want them to know that they got it, but I don't want them to necessarily know how or why or what they got. <laughs> I want. <laughs> I want them to. So, I think that's what makes my bits tingle is knowing that someone, knowing that you have connected with someone and communicated with someone in such a way that it can't be communicated <laughs> or it can't be sort of verbalized do you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that's why you know that's why i now have a real drive to uh, work on presentation skills with people to work on performance skills with people um, and the way i do it is is very much uh, about um, bringing out the, the performer in that person. It's not about hanging a load of bells and whistles. It's not about saying, oh, if you hold your hand like this, it means that you, you want to kill everyone. It's, forget all that, because those are all location and culturally specific things. This is about, you know, the authentic you, your stage self. And to, to do that, you have to connect with that person. You have to, in a, in a very, uh, in a very real way. And that, that's what makes my bits tingle, really. And the beauty of it is, it should make their bits tingle at the same time. Everyone's a winner. <laughs> I think on that note. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, brilliant. So, in terms of what we've learned, what we'll do is, I'll, we're all. <laughs> I don't know what we learned. Like, we don't need to, as I say, because we will reflect on this and I will pull the stuff out this is possibly one of the most incredible conversations that's ever taken place in Leeds Frankie and Benny's <laughs> <laughs> you know. depends if they're open at two in the morning I, I guess think they might have to rebrand after this <laughs> I think we should do more here maybe we should do a tour of all eatery franchises you know. we'll get uh, a different rating on that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah let's yeah. go let's do something at Wagamama's <laughs> <laughs> but Angie thanks so much for this it's been yeah. uh, it's been a joy that's all we can look for. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, once again, thank you very much, David. Our bits, uh, bits are tingling right now. That's all we can ask for. <laughs> thank you very much. I'll catch you soon.
These podcasts are not necessarily here to give you all the answers. I want you to think about what's been said, what's come up, and how you might apply that to your own situation. And if you've enjoyed it, then please subscribe to the podcast and, of course, share it on the social media platforms and so more people get a chance to hear what's going on. Thanks very much for listening. My name's Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment, and I want you to enjoy your business so much it makes your bits tingle.